So as we've been uh, hearing already this morning, 12 minutes past eight, it's been a busy few days for the foreign ministers of Sweden and North Korea discussing uh, that planned summit between Donald Trump and Kim Jong-un in May. Also, Foreign Minister Kang Kyung-hwa of South Korea in the US in the last three days talking to Washington about various issues, including uh, the planned talks that are upcoming between President Moon and Kim Jong-un. Uh, a month before the Trump meeting is planned. Let's bring in Fred Flight, Senior Vice President at the Center for Security Policy, the author of The Coming North Korean Nuclear Nightmare, What Trump Must Do to Reverse Obama's Strategic Patience. Thank you very much for speaking with us. Good to be, good to be here. Good morning. And you, in your book, you, you discuss various important areas, uh, but just this title overall, what do you think... President Trump has done so differently already to Obama's strategic patience? Well, I, I think there's a, a, a drastic difference. The Obama administration's policy uh, ended up being to do nothing and to kick the North Korea crisis down the road to the next president, whereas uh, Mr. Trump has taken a, a very aggressive approach, and, and more has gone on than people realize. I don't think people realize that there's been an across-the-government effort to get U.S. officials almost during every meeting to press leaders of nations around the world to stop their ties with North Korea and to inform those leaders of these ties if they don't. And I think Mr. Trump's threatening rhetoric, which most people have roundly condemned, uh, had a significant effect on the North and made them realize that for this president, force really is on the table. Yeah, because we'd seen, of course, sanctions before, and pressure to an extent, but do you feel then what's really one of the huge decisive differences is this belief that possibly President Trump would take military action? I, I think so, and I'd also note the sanctions have been stronger, and there's been a uh, significantly uh, a, a significant improvement in enforcement. And this is—I think this is especially true concerning China. Uh, the Trump administration has put enormous pressure on China, and, you know, Trump's tweets and criticism of China, which foreign policy experts have roundly condemned, I think it's had an effect on China. I don't think Chinese leaders like having the President of the United States publicly condemning them for cheating on international agreements. And no doubt, having China also believe that he might do something like take military action, which would push them along as well as North Korea. And in fact, in your book, you you actually discuss President Trump's Twitter diplomacy, don't you? So you obviously feel that's a, a, a particularly significant area. Well, I, I mean, no one could have predicted that this type of uh, tactic by a U.S. president would be successful. And I've on many cases, I have on many occasions call for the president to stop using Twitter. Uh, but I think an argument can be made that it helped change the dynamics of this conflict uh, by not just putting pressure on, on, on North Korea, but calling out our allies. I think some of, remember the tweet that President Trump sent saying that the U.S. had a larger nuclear button than Kim Jong-un. The day after that happened, Kim Jong-un turned on the hotline between the two Koreas that had been turned off during the Obama years and sought to uh, open up negotiations and attend the Winter Olympics. Yeah, not only did he say that um, he had a bigger button, he said his button worked, didn't he? Um, <laughs> yes. I mean, it was all rather comical in its own way. 
Now, now the thing is, just on that point, do you then think that President Trump has been the the, the decisive factor here, rather than um, other factors like the fact that we've had the Olympics as an opportunity to bring the Koreas together? I, I think that uh, President Trump could not have gotten as far as he has without the help of his allies. And President Moon has played a significant role in bringing about negotiations. And I think uh, the close relationship between the U.S. And, and South Korea, which I don't think anyone would have predicted, because remember, President Moon said he would meet with Kim Jong-un before he would meet with President Trump. He said that during the campaign. But I think President Moon and President Trump had made some compromises. Uh, there were good discussions with Vice President Pence during the Olympics. So I would say that uh, South Korea and Japan have played a significant role in working with the U.S. Uh, to address the North Korean threat. Another major recent change has been the change of Secretary of State, Rex Tillerson out, Mike Pompeo in. What does that suggest for U.S.-North Korea policy and particularly for the planned summit in May? Well, I'm a big fan of Mike Pompeo. He's a friend of mine. I think his uh, addition to uh, President Trump's uh, cabinet as his chief diplomat would be a big plus. He's aware of all the intelligence on this. Uh, Rex Tillerson is a good man, and I think he, he uh, did his best on, on North Korea and other issues, but uh, there just were some issues where he didn't get along with the president, and I think it was time to make a change. Honestly, um, I, I've heard a lot of criticism of Mike Pompeo as, as someone who will just be a Trump yes-man, as, as someone who might be more aggressive on North Korea. Uh, as a friend of his, can you just answer a couple of those criticisms? Well, you know, it's it's just you know, basically anything President Trump does, there's going to be some kind of unwarranted criticism from the left. And this is just an example of that. Pompeo is not a yes-man. He gives President Trump frank advice and analysis when he meets him every day for intelligence briefings. Uh, and, I mean, I, I also used to work for John Bolton. Who knows whether he'll join the administration or not. But I'll also tell you that Bolton is not a yes-man either. Do you think the meeting in May's timing is, is right? Uh, some people say that it's just going to accelerate everything, and if it goes wrong, we could find ourselves back in a military option scenario much faster than anyone expected. I don't know if there's ever a good time for it. I, I think we have to have proper preparations taken. I would like to have a meeting between U.S. President Kim Jong-un as soon as possible, frankly, I'd like to see that meeting take place in Seoul so Kim Jong-un can see the prosperity and the freedom of South Korea. You know, he, he, he did his secondary education in Switzerland. I don't know whether we can actually reach out to this leader who has a terrible human rights record and is a, a, a dictator who, you know, probably qualifies as a war criminal. But I also think there are malign forces behind the scenes that influence Kim Jong-un's leadership, and I'd like to see him get, at, get away from that and to see Seoul. South Korea's Foreign Minister, Kang Kyung-hwa, she's been in, in the United States, and, and she said that uh, what's really different this time is that Kim Jong-un has given his word, his own word, rather than just being the word of, of a state-run media mouthpiece. Do you also think yes. that's potentially significant for somebody who might have an ego? Well, I think that's true. And also, I mean, there have been a handful of meetings between Kim Jong-un's representatives and foreign officials. He, he hasn't met any head of state, as far as we know, uh, as leader of, of, of North Korea. 
but I also think there are a lot of unknowns about how North Korea is governed and exactly uh, how Kim exercises power. So I, I, I do think this is a, a promising indication, but uh, you know we'll see when it takes place. If this does go badly wrong, though, does that leave us with only one option, or, or would we return to, um, if not strategic patience, some form of waiting? I, I don't think, in all likelihood, this is probably a delaying tactic or a ploy by the North Koreans to get sanctions lifted, time to continue to develop a nuclear missile programs, and uh, the meeting won't be successful, but, we, but President Trump will lay down a marker on how serious he is. I think that's the likely outcome, unfortunately. Uh, and if that happens, I think we'll just keep put, uh, increasing the pressure and consider possibly using military force, maybe shooting down missiles down the road. Yeah, I mean, it's just that that starts to look like strategic patience, apart from the shooting down missiles part. Because, I, I mean, no, it just seems like there are no good options. Not similar at all. It's not similar at all. I mean, strategic, uh, strategic part of Obama's strategic patience was passing resolutions that he didn't enforce at the U.N., and, and basically spending, his diplomats spending all their time in the Middle East. That's clearly not the case with this administration. Fred Flights, thank you for spelling out your view. It's been very helpful having you on the line. My pleasure. Good to be here.